1: Can you imagine a world where the Beatles never existed, or even more bizarrely, one where you suddenly became the only person who had ever heard their music? Our guests in the first episodes of our new series can not only imagine it, but up to a point, have lived it. They are Richard Curtis, Danny Boyle and Himesh Patel, the screenwriter, director and star of the new film Yesterday, out in cinemas on Friday. I'm Ellen Kerwin, And I'm Laura Davis, and this is Beatles City. And we were both very lucky, weren't we, to actually get to watch a screening of the film ahead of its release here in Liverpool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the story? It's about an aspiring musician called Jack. And even though he's really talented, he just hasn't had his break in the industry until one day he wakes up and realises he is the only person that can remember the Beatles, the songs, the lyrics, the music. So he's got a decision to make. Does he pass them off as his own and get them back out there or, you know what does he do? But it's also, um, it's a rom-com as well, a heart. So there's love interest in there and it's just a really positive story.
2: And of course, one of the reasons we were interested was because there's a good 20 minute segment in the film where
1: it just shows Liverpool off as this, this really great, beautiful city. Yeah. So it, it does showcase Liverpool as a beautiful city, but also as the inspiration for some of these iconic songs. So Ellen, you interviewed the star who played Jack, Himesh Patel, and then also the screenwriter Richard Curtis and director Danny Boyle. So what was it like talking to to them? I mean, Richard Curtis, Danny Boyle, two massive names. Yeah, they're really, really the the massive names, but this is something that they've, they've took on. It's quite different to things they've done before, although it's a rom-com at heart, which is really what Richard Curtis does best. It's, you know, it does focus on the music, which is something he hasn't, he's never done before, but he's a massive Beatles fan, so he said it was something he was really looking forward to getting his teeth stuck into. And Danny Boyle, you know, he's got a great catalogue of a lot of different genres, but this is something that he hasn't really done before either, so he was looking forward to really get his teeth stuck into the musical element of the film. So I'm at The Fact in Liverpool, ahead of a special screening of Yesterday, where Danny Boyle is going to introduce the film. <laughs> What was it about yesterday that made you want to work on the film?
0: Obviously, I think it's the moment where the Beatles disappear. You know, it's such a it's such a great what if concept, and to do it about them, you know, because people people often say, "Oh, could it be somebody else? Could you have done it with the Beach Boys or ABBA or Bob Dylan or Ray Davis?" You know, you know, there's lots of, but you but nothing that the resonance of the delight that you'd have is which obviously attracted the Beatles as well, because obviously we have to ask their permission, because they wouldn't let their music be associated. But it's typical of their sense of humour, because that's the thing you forget about them, they had a big sense of humour. And it is a very sense of humour thing to do, because when everybody's like... um sanctioning biopics or life stories and you're allowed to say this and not allowed to say that, all those kind of stuff. The Beatles permit one that's about them being erased from the world's consciousness completely. (laughs) That's a sense of humour, I think. So, And of course, Richard Curtis writing this original idea, the original idea is by this guy, Jack Barth. But Richard is a mad Beatles fan, a nut unhealthily so like. we
1: actually spoke to Richard on Monday so
0: I don't know how you stop speaking to him because <laughs> once he gets going on the Beatles it's hard to stop him um, but it's a wonderful um, idea for a film you know you just think oh that's wonderful and then this other love story about quite ordinary people really school teachers I love that about it so yeah there's lots going for it, really, in a way.
1: So it's quite different to, with the musical element, to, you know, anything you've ever done before. What attracted you and was with the certain challenges that you faced?
0: Yeah, it's a romantic comedy, you know, because that's Richard as a writer. That's his forte, really, and that's what he spent the last, certainly, the last few years of his career concentrating on. Is writing in that kind of quite specific corridor of romantic comedy. I've never really done a straight romantic comedy, really, but it, obviously for this, because of the the kind of double helix of it woven in with this l- a love letter to the Beatles' music, albeit in absentia, in a way, because they've been lost, um, is uh, is a beautiful way of kind of combining something that I yearn for, you know, which is, we all do, romantic comedy, they're ideal, you know, you, um, and and the love of music, you know, so it puts the two together beautifully, I think. So, yeah, it's good.
1: Are you a Beatles fan?
0: It's interesting. I... Yeah, I mean, I am. But I'm saying that in comparison to Richard
1: Curtis.
0: (laughs) Richard Curtis knows all the B-sides. He knows where they did their dry cleaning in Hamburg. I mean, it's literally, like, relentless (laughs) obsession with them. So I'm not that kind of fan. I am that fan about Bowie or The Clash, but not about The Beatles. But I grew up with them in the sense that I was a little kid when my mum and dad had the records... And then I got to know the other, the later albums, which are my own personal favourites. Obviously, as a, as a music, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, de- a devoted fan of music, so I, 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 I accumulated the other albums. But I can't tell you that fan story of, yeah, I went into HMV, you know, and bought the album that day it came out. I can't remember how I got the albums, but I know them very, very well. And the prospect of making a film about them like this was a delight, you know, so I didn't, there's no barrier at all, but I'm not a mad, I'm not a mad, mad fan like... You know,
1: like Richard. (laughs) Like Richard,
0: you know, the first thing I do when I come to Liverpool isn't to go to the Cavern Club. You know, it's just like that's fine. I'm happy to drop in at some point, but you know, it's not the first thing I want to do.
1: So, did having him on on board as well help you with your directing and things like? Because you you had to direct people who'd hear these songs for the very first time, and you know, this really Beatles mania. Did he help a little bit with that?
0: Oh, Richard, Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, no. Everybody—it's interesting,
0: though. What everybody has their own relationship with the music, and that's what's interesting. Because, of course, the reality of the story is the guy, played by the guy Jack Malik, the singer-songwriter, who starts to represent the songs. He's twenty-seven. So is Himesh, who plays the part. So their relationship with the Beatles is quite important. You don't want to force on them like Richard's Obsession or my knowledge of them, which would be greater. Because it's interesting, a younger generation, what do they, which of the songs do they know? Which ones have been filtered down and through without going off researching them? And that was really interesting, you know, what people knew of them. Some were, a lot of people were mad about them because their dads were. I remember, you know... People say, yeah, that was my dad's. Kate McKinnon, who's in the film, she did the film, I think, because her dad was a mad Beatles fan. And had all his favourites and everything like that, and she's devoted to him. So she did the film for that reason, really, in a way. People have all sorts of different reasons, and that's the lovely thing, you know? And shows that their legacy is variable, but will always be there in some form or other, you know?
1: Yeah, and so how important was it for you to film scenes in Liverpool?
0: Well, I said to Richard, we've got to go to Liverpool. I said, we, you can't seriously write a film about the Beatles. And it, it, he'd written it in Suffolk and Norfolk, and that's great. And he lives there with his family. I said, but listen, you, I mean, we'll get killed. <laughs> you do a film about the Beatles and you don't go and film in Beatles. Anyway, I said, it's really important for the story, because you would, I think. If you were tasked with trying to remember the titles, the tunes, and the most difficult part, the lyrics... You'd immediately go. I've got to go to Liverpool. I mean, and you'd hope in hanging round some of the place names that you might pick up some something in the air, something that might help you remember. You know, so it seemed an obvious thing to do. And of course, it's for the film. It's very touching that you go to a place that we know is celebrated and visited by tourists every day. But in this scenario, where they've been erased from history, is just. Um, a building site Strawberry Fields is a building site and you know and Penny Lane is just a street you know and it's like nothing special about them you know they haven't been mythologized yet um, because the Beatles haven't existed apparently um, so it was wonderful to come here and then you go in the Mersey Tunnel and you think we'll do a bit there and you know and we did a, we did a couple of concert scenes here we filmed at um, we filmed at the O2, the Moscow concert, and then we filmed at, what was it called? Uh, it's where Bingo Bongo play. It's where Bingo Bongo have it. Camp there. and
1: Furnace. Camp
0: and Furnace. Yeah. So, we, so we did the backstage stuff with Ed Sheeran at Camp and Furnace. So, um, so that was lovely, you know. So we hung out here for a, a week, ten days, doing bits of filming and stuff like that. So it's really nice. And, and of course, you've got to be careful that you don't get a Beatles magical mystery tour bus going around in the background in you know, the background of your shot because obviously they're not meant to have existed so that notwithstanding that we had a lovely time yeah it was nice to be here
1: so you know a lot of people said the Beatles changed the world so when you were directing you were trying to direct something when they hadn't existed when you think about it not much actually changed watching the film how did you go about those decisions?
0: yeah you see what the question of if it actually was real what would look different you could say everything And nothing, in a way, apart from, obviously, Beatles statues or magical mystery tour bus tours or whatever. um, I think they changed something much more fundamental, though, which isn't necessarily visible as such in a way that you would recognise as being right or wrong. They changed... They shifted the world on its axis because the the, um, pop culture became a belief system, basically and the, the previous the, the belief systems that allow I mean, mankind basically can exist in a group of about 100 150 people that's basically the way that's the number of names you can remember of people that you can interact with so mankind's natural inclination would be to stay in that kind of size of group it's little hamlets like that and maybe there'd be some interaction what happened is a series of belief systems grew up where people could put their faith not in somebody that they knew personally who lived in their Hamlet, but in an idea, a bigger idea, like religion or the army, you know, the state, God, you know, war, all these kind of... And these are belief systems that grew up. Money was the biggest one. Everybody agreed that money, we can interchange money, even though you're interchanging it with people you've never met. I think they created a different belief system. It's as fundamental as that, which is culture, pop culture, And they said that you can... You don't have to go in the army. You don't have to fight that war. You don't have to do the job your dad did. You don't have to live like that. You can live according to what you feel when you're young, which is vibrant, expressive, pleasure, self-expression. You know, that you can have a joy in that, really. And love, most especially, which is what most of their work was dedicated to. And so not only did they create this different belief system, which terrified the establishment, the kind of powers that be were like, what? Because they didn't understand it, and they shifted the axis to say, look at the young. And we're still in that belief system now, where it's the young dictate the economy, in a way. and Because they built an economy around this, so they couldn't just be dismissed as kind of layabouts, hippie layabouts who didn't want to work. They actually built a whole economy around it. And Western Europe now, well, the Western world... A lot of our economy is based on pop culture, not least, for instance, Britain, Ed Sheeran, in the way that the Beatles earns what, goodness knows what money for this country. Ed Sheeran's doing exactly the same right at this minute. You know, So it's like a, it's like a fundamental change in society. So everything changed and yet maybe visually nothing.
1: Has your perception changed on, um, on the music industry and on pop culture when you've really delved into it? Did, was there anything that shifted for you?
0: what was weird is way, the way they now write songs like 16 people can be on a, a song.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, and there's always a minimum of three. And you think that's incredible compared to when they did it. Because what they did is they just it's that collaborative thing of just a bunch of friends. And they just became a factory for some of the most amazing tunes ever written. You know, and for a, and for a belief system being created, as I said. And that's... They weren't, able, they weren't able, or they didn't play live for very long. They didn't exist together for very long. But from that cauldron, I mean, Ed Sheeran told us this while we were rehearsing. He said everything's emerged out of that cauldron in terms of popular music, for instance. Everybody owes some kind of debt to them, in a way. And, and the other thing about them that I find extraordinary, and you don't get very often, and you certainly don't feel like you get now, is that... that a particular artist or a group in their case the variation in their work that they were prepared to do a bit of reggae a bit of this, we'll have a bit of this we'll have a bit of Indian in here, we'll have this I mean it's like incredible and and unapologetically they would just run with whatever instincts they felt and that was one of the things I think they celebrated is the power of instinct of follow your nose go where what you think is interesting not what you're told to do don't be what you're told to do, so.
1: And lastly, what was it like to work with Ed, who, you know, isn't, isn't an actor, is primarily a musician. What was it like to direct him?
0: He was great. He was very, um, he was very keen to be a better actor. You know, he said, you know, I'd quite like to do it quite well because it's quite a big part. And I said, well, you've got to, um, you'll have to come to rehearsals then. So and you can't just drop in, even though you're playing yourself, which is easy. It isn't. It's the most difficult thing to do, I think. Um, and even though you're a performer anyway, every night you're out performing or whatever, You this is different. You need to pick up the rhythm of the other actors. You need to try alternatives in the script, different ways of saying things, different approaches to the scene. You need to provide alternatives for the director so that there's a variation can come in so it's not the same note the whole time. And, and he loved it and he was very serious about it. And he turned up for rehearsal and I think he quite enjoyed being in a gang because you we watched him on tour you know because we filmed with him we filmed his crowd and he's obviously on his own
1: yeah he does everything himself it's so impressive
0: one person yeah. 80,000 people I mean so I think to be amongst a bunch of actors who were all bitching about the director behind my back you know and all the different things actors do um, it's really nice a different change of rhythm for him you know so um, I think he enjoyed it yeah and he's very good in the film he's very funny and Engaging, and in a, it's a wonderful way that the film shifts. You know that you believe how Jack gets to be so famous because Ed gives him a help because it's Ed's story, really. In a way, he was nobody, and he went to immense fame. Though I have to, I have to admit to you that we did ask Chris Martin first, and Ed never lets us forget that that we went to Chris Martin oh, and really? Coldplay first. And
1: how did, how come that didn't come out?
0: Because he just finished touring in. Um, He'd just done two years on the road with Coldplay, and he would—he literally just stopped, and he said, "I can't leave LA for a year now. I've promised the kids I'll be around, you know, rather than out on the road the whole time." So then we went to Ed, and he said, "You asked? I will bet you asked Harry Styles as well." He said, "We didn't. We didn't. We went straight to Ed. He's been great." <laughs>
1: Richard Curtis on the line. Who's going to tell me a little bit about the film? So, if you could tell me a little bit about how it, you know it came that you started to work with the film yesterday, how did that come about?
2: Well, what happened was I actually it was an, it was the first time for me. I got a phone call from a friend of mine, and he said he had this film with this amazing plot line of you know one person in the world who can uh, remember the Beatles. And I said, stop right there. That's a film I'd love to write um because i'd been a you know obsessive beatles fan really for the whole of my life so um uh, and then i got i got the gig so uh, and it went on from there
1: so you say you were you know really such a beatles fan did you ever think of maybe branching into that yourself or was this almost like a calling for you you felt like it was the right time right place that, that kind of thing
2: You know, the great, the greatest luck of my life is I have no talent in the single thing I'm most passionate about. So (laughs) I have no musical talent, therefore I've never had to exclude anyone. I sometimes think musicians, you know, decide which area of music they're going into. And so as it were, they can't like folk because they're into electronic music. But I'm happy to love everything. And my first love has always been the Beatles. You know, I was living in Sweden when they first started. I remember them coming to play Stockholm and I stood outside their hotel for three nights in a row, even though I was only eight, um, and waited for them to come out onto the balcony, which they did once a night to wave at the fans. And then, you know, last year for my birthday, I gathered my six most Beatle friends and we picked our top 30 songs and then played them in reverse order from eight o'clock in the evening till one o'clock in the morning.
1: Wow. So it must have been a real passion project for you then, especially because you love the Beatles so much. What was it like, you know, tailoring the two things you really love together?
2: Exactly. I mean, it really was just such a joy. And the thought that when we were making the film, I was going to be able to listen to the Beatles for sort of 17 whole days, because I think we've got 17 songs. That's just my idea of heaven.
1: So you 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 know are known very much for your rom coms and you know this while this has got elements of a rom com, it it has got the music at the forefront. Did you find how did you find working that way?
3: Well, the
2: funny thing is, you know, and I, I don't think I'm sort of saying this just because of this movie. I would attribute all my rom coms, you know, almost to the Beatles to this feeling that the right thing to do is to write about joy, to write about love, to write about youth, to try and deal with serious issues but always making people feel wonderful while they're listening to them. So I see the Beatles as, I've always been just trying to write something that's a 50th as good (coughs) as the Beatles' worst song. Um, And uh, I loved having this extra story, you know, to to write something which isn't at all a musical and isn't a, biopic in any way but has the Beatles you know front left and centre
1: If you had to pick one of the Beatles songs that sort of attributes itself to one of your films or one that you have particularly in mind would you be able to mesh that together do you think?
2: Well I think the two I've never been able to say my two favourite Beatles songs are both off Hard Day's Night actually and I Love Her and If I Fell and I kind of I've just been trying to be as good as one of those for a lifetime.
1: So have you ever managed to meet Paul or, or Ringo or George? Have, have you ever managed to do that at all?
2: I met George once, which was the most surreal conversation of my life because he wandered up to me at a party and said he was a fan of my work. And I said, well, wow. that's crazy. <laughs> because your work is, is my whole life. But I think he'd be watching Blackadder or something like that because George loved comedy. So I met him once, and I've met Paul, actually. I'm, I'm close friends with Twiggy. So I've yeah. met Paul a few times and just love him as a human as I love him as an artist.
1: So in, in the in the film, you actually touch on, you know, certain elements or certain things that wouldn't be around if it wasn't for the Beatles today. I think Coca-Cola's mentioned and also Oasis. Are there maybe any other elements that you, you didn't get to involve and in, include in the film, but you think, you know, they wouldn't be around if it wasn't for the, the Beatles?
2: Well, look, I, I don't go into the I mean, the, the only joke that really relates to the Beatles there is the Oasis one. Um, And I didn't have time to go into questioning how much of ELO's work would exist or how much of Crowded House would exist. You know, I think that if you really took it apart, we'd have about, you know, a third less music, great music than we've got now because the Beatles were such, you know, a long term inspiration to so many people.
1: So have you ever been to Liverpool and really saw the site, you know, been on the Magical Mystery Tour and walked down the steps of the cavern? Have you, have you ever had a chance to do that?
2: Do you know, I haven't done that. But in the making of the movie, it was just a dream come true because we had, you know, we shot in Eleanor Rigby's grave and we shot at Strawberry Fields and we shot at Penny Lane. Those were, I mean, such extraordinarily happy days. I have got a collection of photographs of the Beatles, which is the thing I'm, that makes me most happy almost. And while I was writing the film, I've got a study, and I just put every Beatles photo that I've got all over the walls, just to, so that they were endlessly looking, looking down on me and expecting me to do well.
1: Being such a good fa- um, such a big fan, can you see yourself maybe doing any more work to do with the Beatles or, or in music?
2: Um, that's such an interesting question. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, this has been my real big bash at it. Um, but you know, if, if ever anyone wanted me to do anything, it's something I would obviously, you know, be open to. So we'll just have to wait and see how life takes me.
1: Has this sort of developed your passion for it at all or, you know, researching it even more deeply? Has that made your love grow fonder at all?
2: You know what? It's definitely made me, because people often ask, well, would the Beatles be as big if they started now? When I became really convinced during the making of the film that they would, you know, just the sheer, partly the brilliance of the lyrics and the kind of absolutely rock solid nature of the tunes. You know, there often is the question, well, was it the, you know, was it their voices, their character, their production? And obviously it was all those things. But I do think just the songs at their bare, you know, notes and words are still better than anyone else's.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you've also got a really big celebrity cast. You know, you've got James Corden being himself and you've got Ed Sheeran also acting as himself in the film. Did you sort of write them into that or did you approach them first? How did that How did that process work?
2: Well, um, Actually, you know, both of those were in a way through friendship. I've I've known James forever because of all the work he does for Comic Relief. So we just asked him a favour, and Ed is strangely a friend of mine. I mean, uh, he he comes from you know the movie's set in Suffolk, and that's where Ed started. And I love the fact that Ed's you know just marrying um, a childhood friend of his. So, um, you know, in a way, the movie's about Ed. So when I finally went to Ed and told him, the movie's about you and I wanted you to be in it, uh, and he had a couple of weeks off, I got lucky. Yeah.
1: So if you did wake up tomorrow and you were the only person to remember The Beatles, would you take the same choices that Jack does in the film?
2: No, I'd commit suicide because I have no musical <laughs> well. skill, so I'd be stuck with all these tunes in my head, but I wouldn't know how to communicate them. Um I I think that, you know, he, because he's a musician, gets swept away in the success. I think if I thought it through, I would think I've got a huge responsibility here. And I'd work like crazy to remember as many as I could and try and make the songs sound as much like them and then give them back to the world. Because I can't imagine a world without the joy of those songs.
1: Well, there's actually, there's a really touching scene when Jack meets, you know, the older John Lennon later on in the film. How How was that to write and, you know, for you to envision what he would be like if he hadn't discovered music?
2: Well, you know, one of the great luxuries of writing is you can write away. So I had this idea and I probably wrote 20 pages or 30 pages to just try and find out who John might be and what he, how he might talk. And, you know, I think all of us, in a way, the Beatles are in our bones. And I found it, I mean, who knows if I've done it well in, you know, any way. But I certainly found as though I felt I knew how John might talk. But it's just my, you know, my amateur attempt to, to, to do that.
1: Did you find it harder or, or easier to write about something that you, you love so much?
2: No, I think easier. You know, I could never write a film about a serial killer or a corrupt policeman or a soldier. They're not subjects that I'm very engaged in. So I've always tried to write, you know, to some extent. I've written too much about, you know, falling in love and all these things, but and family and friends, but they are the subjects that I think mean the most to me. So I think my, my method has always been you know, write about what matters most to you and that's probably the safest way to have a career.
1: And was it yourself that picked what what songs would appear in the film? Did, did you have, you know, did you write that in or did you have any say in that at all?
2: Uh, yeah, no, completely. The great thing is the deal <coughs> we had with Sony was that we could have any songs. I think the truth of the matter is, you know, we tended towards the more famous ones because in a way that's the better joke. If a person's going to... Um, you know, sit down in his own living room and play a song to his parents, it's probably better, funnier than it's Let It Be than if it's Rain or Not A Second Time or, you know, ones that normal people don't know quite as well. So in a way, they sort of became self-selecting. I knew I'd use help because it's a cry for help, you know, and mm-hmm. I, he, I wanted him to Go abroad, and the Beatles never wrote a song about Madrid, but they did write one about the USSR. So I sent him to Russia, you know. So it was a complicated process, but you got so much choice that it meant that it was, you know, a pleasure rather than scraping around trying to find something relevant.
1: And if you were given, you know, one more song to add to the, to the track list on the film, what would your one song be?
2: Oh, gosh. I mean, look, there are lots of shameful exclusions. You know, it's a, sh- it's a shame we couldn't have a day in the life in there. It's a shame I didn't put in Here, There, Everywhere, which, by the way, when I had that thing with my friends, Here, There, Everywhere came up as the number one Beatles song between <laughs> six very different people.
1: And would you say, so it is your favourite one, would you say?
2: <laughs> no, no, those two I said, and I love her, and if I fell, are my two favourites.
1: So what was it like? You know, you've you've got really close friends as well that love The Beatles. What what have they thought of the film?
2: Uh, I beg your pardon?
1: What have your friends thought of the film? You know, the friends that you said also really oh, love The Beatles. Um,
2: you know, uh, but in fact, we had a sort of special friend screening the other night and they all seemed to be happy afterwards. They They were, you know, I come from exactly the right. Generation. I mean, me and Danny were both born within two weeks of each other. We were both seven and eight. So most of my friends really grew up with the Beatles. So I, I, they, I think they were exactly the target audience. But then on the other hand, my kids have seen it and they love it. But because I think the Beatles have sort of sneaked into culture completely. When I remember when I was, you know, when my kids were little. Well, you would go to school plays and very often they'd end with a Beatles song. I remember watching a play about the Battle of Hastings and at the end of it, William the Conqueror held Harold's hand and they sang We Can Work It Out. So uh, I think the the miracle about what's happening is that the Beatles don't seem to be fading.
1: And lastly, um, what was it like to work with Danny Boyle on a a project as big as this?
2: It was a real joy. I mean, he is the most energetic director. He never sits down. And I think, you know, his one of his brilliant contributions is there are 17 songs and they might have looked like they were all being the same, but Danny always found a particular focus. So, you know, one song would sort of be about England and landscape and one song would just be about Lily James's reaction. And one song would be about the excitement of being live. And another song would be about the excitement of a big crowd. So he just had all the tools in his toolbox to, you know, do each one in a kind of different and marvelous way.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, also, if you really busy day to talk to us.
2: Not at all. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for your brilliant it's been accent. A I lived up in Warrington <laughs> for 14 years. So um, I used to. My whole family supported Liverpool Football Club, and I used to go there to the movies all the time. So. Um, I love the city and I love how people from the city sound
1: oh great are you going to come down soon are you going to come back to Liverpool
2: well I hope so soon we've been up you know we shot up there for about 10 days we just went up there for a sort of American press junket I hope I'm not away for too long
1: yeah hopefully you can come back on holiday soon
2: yeah exactly
1: Himesh, I'll get stuck straight in. So you can actually sing and play instruments as well. So what was it like for you to perform these, you know, such iconic Beatles songs in the film?
3: It was a complete joy. You kind of realise how amazing the songs are. Even when you strip them back to just, you know, one person and a guitar, there's a magic to the songs that just shines through. So um, there's something really nice about playing them that, that just kind of feels really joyous.
1: Yeah, did you feel any extra pressure at all? Because you know the such loved songs—is this did this add an extra element for you?
3: It it did, I guess, but only in the back of my mind because I wasn't ever made to feel the pressure by anyone, uh, which is you know testament to Danny and the way he works and and um, yeah, I wasn't really ever made to feel the the pressure of the fact that you know these songs were well loved songs and that I had to get it right, you know. Um,
1: yeah, well, I I actually read before that part of you know the reason when you were auditioning that they loved you so much was because you performed such a stripped back version in of um was it was a Coldplay song in the audition, um and it was this element that they really ran with in the film, wasn't it? Like just you know the sort of stripped back element of it. Is that what you're like as a musician and how you like to pe- play anyway?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, all I've ever had is me, really. I've never, you know, that's why I'm, I don't think I'm that good at guitar and and piano because I never really had mates who were better than me that I could learn from. Um, so I, um, I've it's really only ever been me and a piano or me and a guitar. So I, I guess it was only ever going to be that, really. Uh, and and it's nice, it's nice that they kind of responded to it and then kind of ran with that, really, in terms of what how Jack begins. Um, and it, as I say, it kind of brings out what's so brilliant about the tracks, because, um, you know, when you strip them back, they're still really amazing songs.
1: Yeah, so were you a Beatles fan be- before, you know, doing the film?
3: I, I, They'd kind of been... Kind of bit by bit kind of slotted into my life in a way. Um, the Beatles, they kind of like heard a few tracks and then I'd heard Sgt. Pepper's and White Album and, and that sort of thing and all the singles that everyone knows, of course. Um, but yeah, it was really doing this that meant that I kind of dived in and I listened to everything from the beginning and, and all the way through to the end. And, and you just realize how amazing their journey is musically, um, you know, as people in terms of what they were. A, a, you know, promoting what they were sharing with the world, the influences they drew from around the world and, and how that changed our culture in the UK and and, and other cultures as well. It's it's really it's unprecedented and it's an invaluable thing that we have.
1: Do you have a favourite song?
3: I, you know, I don't know if I do, but it's it, it's so tough, isn't it, to kind of pick one. i tell you what, I was just listening to Rocky Raccoon and I really like that one, so there you go.
1: In terms of performing as well in the film, was, was there a song maybe that you responded to particularly more than the rest, or a song that made you feel, you know, really great when you were performing it?
3: I really like Long and Winding Road. I think maybe because I was slightly proud of myself for, for having gotten to the point where I could play on the piano. But also, it is an amazing song. And it's, um, you know, lyrically, it's so beautiful. And I actually really love how where it sits in the movie now and the way that it, plays in the movie is um is really brilliant
1: so you touched on before about you know not really knowing much about them before the film you know you had to probably do your research on you know really getting into the nitty-gritty of them but was there anything in particular that you found out in that process that you that really stuck with you throughout the movie
3: it stuck with me there was a I was I was reading a this story about when they first auditioned for EMI. Um, and it was at, I think it was at Abbey Road, if I'm not mistaken. And they had to audition and, and you know, then see if the record label would kind of take them on. And, you know, there was, they they were preparing for it up until the last minute and they, they weren't sure, you know, whether they were going to get get signed. And then they did, obviously, as we know, even they got signed. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of wonder that what if they'd not got it right and what if they'd failed to get signed? Then maybe that's the world that Jack's living in, um, where they never got signed. You know, and you realise these these things, kind of these forks in the road, are so fragile. Um, you know, it was one person's decision probably to sign the Beatles, and now look what we have.
1: Yeah, it's like a real butterfly effect, and I think that does come across in the film as well. So, mm. if you were were to wake up tomorrow and you were to have the decision, um, you know that Jack has, would you do the same? Would you, you know, put the songs back out there? Would you, you, have you ever thought about that?
3: Yeah, I, I, I think I'd probably try, but I wouldn't do it on my own. I think I'd, I'd maybe have to try and try and explain it to some of my friends who are better musicians than me.
1: Yeah, try and recruit maybe a, a Ringo
3: <laughs> or a Paul. And then try and hum the songs at them and see if they know how to play
1: it. <laughs> yeah. Who would you, like, how would you find yourself in the band? Would you be a bit of a John? Would you f- fancy yourself more of a Paul?
3: Oh Gosh, <laughs> maybe more of a George, to be honest.
1: Oh, really? Why is that? It
3: is a bit of a quieter one, Um Yeah. yeah
1: so you um, you filmed in Liverpool for, for the film and how how did you find that did, did you get to spend much time in the city
3: yeah and I, I really really fell in love with Liverpool actually I think it's a really beautiful city it's, it's a really nice feeling and I, well, I was back there a couple of weeks ago doing a bit of press and it was I don't know there's something about Liverpool I really like it it's got a really lovely history that is celebrated and celebrated in a really lovely way and, and then like you know some really beautiful modern architecture and um, it's got you know modern feel to it as well and yeah I I really loved our time there and and to to get to visit some of the iconic sites as well and film at those sites was you know a real privilege (laughs)